greet each one in the precious name of Jesus this morning. Thankful for the opportunity to again worship with saints. I've appreciated my time here this week. My wife and I both have felt like we've had a very uh, profitable time visiting in homes, uh, getting to know you better. Some of you we knew from before, some of you we know better now, and we made new friendships. We want to talk this morning about instilling biblical values and convictions, and this is thinking more on the home, and the ideas that of how we put forth effort in training our children in a way that pleases God in a way that works, in a way that has long-term results. I think all of us realize that the world system for training children is poor, bad, doesn't work, it's broke. Uh, It doesn't just need uh, some tweaks, it needs to be overhauled. But too often we look at how the world does it and we kind of pattern what we do after some of their thinking. We're tempted to pick up their books and get ideas from them. And I'm not saying that every idea that is put out by a secular book on child training, that it has no value. The problem therein lies that as I read a book like that, I read the part that is not good and I may be swayed to think that that also is truth. We've been talking some about pride this week and the effect that it has on a person's life. And I find that in our circles our Mennonite Anabaptist circles, we tend to follow somewhat the thinking or the way that the world teaches. Now, methodology, that's, that's one thing. You know, we, we think that classes are okay. It's okay to have a class on math. Well, that's, the world does that. Okay, that's fine. But do we use the same reward system and all? And I've had to, you know, ask myself questions about this as I thought back to my teaching days. And I'm not throwing any rocks here because I, I think there's a, a balance. By the way, did you notice that the pulpit's off center this morning? We're, we're trying not to give an unbalanced message this morning, but it may feel that way to you. (coughs) We'll bring the board up after a while and work on that. So, Okay. But uh, the world's values are unbalanced. They don't don't have the right um, they don't bring about the right end results. Uh, you, You won't get the right end results working with their ideas of how to achieve learning in a child. What are the world's values? 
And there's three things that I think of quite just off the top of my head. It's material things. The more material things, the more toys you have, the better off you are. You know, you just you gotta you gotta have things. So material things, that's part of the world's values. Physical. Put a lot of effort into how you look physically. Being fit physically. And there's nothing wrong with taking care of our bodies and putting forth effort to be healthy. I've had some wake-up calls just recently and visiting the doctor. And he's saying, you know, Lyndon, you're, you uh, need to lose some weight. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, uh, and maybe you won't be a statistic quite as quickly. Oh, okay. So it's okay to think about the physical, but it should not consume us. I have a friend back home. He wants me to do a job for him as soon as I get back. He's been bugging me with texts and phone, phone messages. And his, his main goal in life, well, I don't know if it's his main goal, but one of his main goals in life is to build his body up physically. He's probably 58, 59 years old. And uh, does quite well at it. Yeah, I think he goes to the gym every day and works out. And, and I don't know what would happen if he quit. He would probably experience, I'm sure he's been on steroids part of his life. and all. It's all about the physical with him. Several, as quite a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, he competed for Mr. Clean nationwide. He made it to the top 10. He made it to Chicago. And they all... You know, they, they strut around there in front of a large audience of shrieking people and perform. And he was part of that. Now, his wife didn't like it, and he couldn't understand that. But I think he, he got the drift later on when she said, well, do you care if I do that? And, oh, that was a little different. Just for, anyhow, I'll tell you what he did. He, the odder thing that you can, I mean, the more odd thing you can do the more chances are that you'll win this competition. His thing was he did 10 push-ups, and between each push-up he could clap his hands behind his back without smashing his nose on the, on the floor. He's good. But, but to him, it's all physical. And for a while, he had a hobby of flying helicopters, big helicopters. Uh, they're models. You can't ride in them, but flying uh, radio-controlled helicopters. He got tired of that, so right now he's, he's uh, into the parachute hang gliding thing where you've got an 80-pound motor strapped on your back with a fan blade propelling you through the skies. And he's, the adrenaline rush is there again. So it's about the physical, okay? The third thing that is a world value that is okay to have in small doses is mental. But to focus solely on that and to ever be learning, but to never come to know truth, the Bible says, you know, that, that's a way that people will head down the wrong direction. To some people in the world today, it's all about how much I know, how smart I am, have I taken another class. And yes, we take, we take classes and we do... Uh, higher education and things like that to secure a certain line of work and that sort of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But when learning is an end in itself 
and it's just okay I'm going to just do this and take more courses and take more courses and and I really don't have a goal here I don't have a way to use it in God's kingdom I'm just uh, I'm all in it for the mental exercise it's a worldly value a person's value in the world is often determined by achievement achievement rather than moral character we talked a lot about character last night and how important that is in a person's life and, and having the right character, not just surrounding ourselves with the right characters. Um, we, we need that good moral character in our life. But the world often determines a person's value by their achievement. What have they done? How much money have they made? Look how strong he is. Look how smart he is, he or she. And too often in our education system, we teach children to compare themselves with each other. And I think, I'm sure I did that when I was teaching school. I just, uh, that is something that I talk to the teachers about as we do teacher training, that I say, you know, try to lean away from that. Try to get them to compete with themselves instead of competing so much with each other. In the school system, it's, it's you know, are you at the top of your class? Are you the best person? Uh, did you do better on this test than everyone else in the class? Or is it because you got a good grade? You did well. You did better than you did last week. Even in that can be an uplifting of self and pride. And it's so easy to teach children to be proud. And that's, that's, that's fairly simple task for parents. Here's what someone wrote. Listen to this. You teach a child to scorn to be outdone, to thirst for distinction and applause. And is it any wonder that he continues to act all his life in the same manner? Now, if a youth is ever to be so far a Christian as to govern his heart by the doctrines of humility... I would fain know at what time he is to begin it, or if he is ever to begin it at all. I'm sorry, let me restate that. Or if he is ever to begin it at all, why we train him up in tempers quite contrary to it? How dry and poor must the doctrine of humility sound to a youth that has been spurred up to all his industry by ambition, envy, emulation, and a desire of glory and distinction. And if he is not to act by these principles when he is a man, why do we call him to act by them in his youth? Let those people who think that children would be spoiled if they were not thus educated consider this. Could they think that if any children had been educated by our blessed Lord or his holy apostles, their minds would have been sunken to dullness and idleness? Or could they think that such children would not have been trained up in the profoundest principles of a strict and true humility? Pretty wordy, isn't it? Can they say that our blessed Lord, who was the meekest and humblest man that ever was on earth, was hindered by his humility from being the greatest example of worthy and glorious actions that were ever done by men? Can they say that his apostles, who lived in the humble spirit of their master, did therefore cease to be laborious and active instruments of doing good to all the world? A few such reflections as these are sufficient to expose all the poor pretenses for an education in pride and ambition. And that was written by William Law. In between the years 1600 and 1700, somewhere in there. That's what always surprises me when I read this. That for years, for hundreds of years, 
it has been an accepted thing to teach our children to be prideful, to put themselves first, to emulate themselves, and um, to have envy of those that do better than them, to be filled with ambition for ambition's sake, and that sort of thing. So, what values do we want to instill in our children? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read some verses there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. I'm going to stop right there and just think about that. Son and thy son's sons. Are we teaching our children well enough that we have confidence that they will pass that on? It's easy to become distracted and um, overtaken with the cares of this life, and suddenly our children are grown. I know that as well as anyone. My youngest is 19, and I'm just not sure where all that those youthful moments of my four children growing up, where they went, what happened there. Um, there are no longer little children of mine running around the house. Now, my daughter does babysit in our home, so we're back to having little children again there. But And we do aid in the t- uh, teaching and training of those children. But my own children are of an age where my influence on them is greatly diminished. The opportunity for me to impress upon them uh, godly ways and godly living is somewhat past. I can still be an influence in their life, and um, we want to do that. But are we teaching and training in such a way that future generations will follow after in the ways of God? Verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, And when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. 
And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That's a very real threat to us. We live in a, a day and age where we have plenty. We are full. We have enough. We have more than enough. We have enough to give to others that are in want, and that's good. But the opportunity to forget the Lord our God is very real at that time. Verse 13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. We're going to stop there. His last three verses are basically saying, don't follow the way of the world. God's a jealous God. God wants your undivided attention. Um, he wants you to be completely his. So what are some of the negative influences that the world has to offer that we are trying to combat? And this has been, uh, this was brought out several times in this passage about that we need to fear the Lord our God. And that is one thing that comes across in our world today so prevalent is there is no fear of God. You see these signs, no fear. And it's kind of a, um, someone trying to make a statement about how they ain't scared. They, 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 they've got things under control. They know how to handle things and they're no fear. There's no fear of God, for starters. And it goes on from there. Because then it goes on to the second point of no respect for authority. The world around us is is held in from a terrible evil only by the use of heavy-handed authority. If, if the authority as we knew it was removed, even in our country, it would be a scary place to live. There would be anarchy, chaos. Um, but even so... People, people want to be respected for their authority, and they, they have somewhat respect for authority, but they are constantly teaching and training the younger generation to have less and less respect for authority. There is a permissive attitude. No child will be failed because, well, that would, that would be hurtful to that child, so we just pass them on in the school system. We send them on down the... Uh, down the path, and they really don't learn anything. They learn that they can play the system, and somehow they will get by. Now, when adulthood hits and they find out that life isn't quite that way, then they become angry, oftentimes, at the authority that was in their life and retaliate against it. But there's no example given by the world around us of ways to respect authority. 
everybody is out for their own good, for their own um, ideas and thoughts, and uh, there is little respect for authority. We are thankful that in many parts of our country there are people that do respect authority, but, but many people of the world do not. Another negative influence of the world is humanistic values. That we, as man, we are the supreme being. We are God. We should be making our own choices and decisions. I don't need God in my life to figure out how things should be done. Man believes that he is constantly bettering his condition. And they try over and over and over again to make it better, and they can't figure out why it gets worse. But they, they think that somehow we are improving the quality of life. And you can look at some things like oh, the expected age uh, that a person lives to it has risen. Well, they can point to that. But what quality of life is that? And um, is it, are we really improving the quality? of the life, or, the, or is it just the quantity? Number four, there's no respect for life. And that is shown over and over again on, you know, through TV violence and things like that. Uh, the books and, and all that are prevalent in our society today, there's no respect for life. Now you have people that are advocating that the old need to be taken out of the way sooner. Euthanasia and that sort of thing. Um, You've, you've went into those situations or thought about them and read about them. It basically is a lessening of respect for life. There are places that wish there could be no moral laws and no restrictions. Yes, they want some laws that protect them, but beyond that, they do not want any moral law to be responsible to. Everyone wants to do what they feel like doing, and they don't want to be responsible for their actions. That's why we have abortions. That's why we have fatherless children. So, what are some things that you and I want to teach in our home to teach our children? And it's somewhat the opposite here of the things that we have mentioned so far. First of all, we want to teach a fear of God. But there's a lot of ways to do that. And it needs to be done a little bit at a time, such as is mentioned here in Deuteronomy of sitting down with the children and, and pointing out the way of God. Uh, the admonition here in this, this passage is that we would post it or talk about it or bring our children's attention to it at all times of the day, all different places that we go. Um, one thing that you can see in this passage is that the family spends time together. That they are spending time enjoying each other and understanding things that are taught by the father. That the father is home enough to do that. And yes, I know, we have jobs, we have work to do. We can't be sitting in the house all day long. But um, when we are there, are we too tired to interact with our children? Some sub-points to fear of God. A respect for his, for his creation. There's so much to see in the world around us that is interesting and that can point a child to God. We can point it out and do it in just a purely secular way, 
and we really haven't gained anything because of that. Or we can point it out and show the child that this is because God made it this way and that God is responsible for this creation. And it's because of his mighty power. And, you know, you go on and on from there. Another, another point of fear of God would be the knowledge of the presence of God. Do our children understand that God is everywhere and he is nearby to help in times of need? Are our children comforted by that? And do they uh, realize that God is with us in danger? But he also sees us in whatever we're doing, whatever our actions are, whatever our thoughts are, that God is there to see. A fear of God is taught when I have God first in my life as a parent. That God can uh, takes first place in my life and that it's important to me to follow God's will for my life. When my children see that, and they really pick up on things like that, that um, they, they pick up and it becomes a part of them to have a fear of God because the parents put God first in their lives. Number two, we'd want to teach a respect for authority. And that's in several different areas. And it's, that's something that, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that this evening, I think, is how worldwide and even church, in our churches we're seeing less and less respect for authority. It, it bothers me when I see young people, middle-aged people, older people, showing less and less respect for the authority. Authority of the family and other relatives. The authority of the school. As a school, uh, if, you, if you send your children to a uh, private school, Christian school, do you allow the authority of the school and school board to function as it should? Or do you as a parent try to be in charge there? What about the authority of the church in your life or the authority of the government around us? Is there set up by God for the good of us? And uh, we should respect it and show respect for their authority. Godly values. Do, do our children see us making decisions based on the word of God? When I choose to make a major purchase or choose to make a change of some sort, maybe it's a move or whatever the case might be, do my children understand that I am seeking God's will in doing that? And as we think of godly values, does our lifestyle support the attitude of a stranger and pilgrim? Or does my sons and daughters think that dad thinks he's going to live forever here and he's building his own little empire accordingly? Godly values. Does our lifestyle support the attitude of a stranger pilgrim? Respect for life. Are older people held in high esteem? I think we do well when we teach our children to... Um, esteem those in authority, those that are older. Um, I've appreciated some things that my nieces and nephews that have children have done that shows that to my wife and I. Um, 
There is, you know, just things as simple as after a meal, making sure that your children, before they leave the table, or they sometimes they get down, they want to whisper, but they come around and say thank you for the meal to the hostess or the host and ask to be excused. One little boy, I remember specifically, he wanted to get down and his father told him what he needed to do and he said, well, he said, I think I'm still hungry. He thought he'd just stay at the table for a while longer. <laughs> After a while, he realized that things weren't getting any better and he finally capitulated and said, okay, you would take care of that. But, you know, the parents stuck with it. It's not hard for that boy to do that now. He, he had a tough time that day, but he got over it. There was an old man one time who could not care for himself anymore, and his daughter and her husband took him into their home. But it was not willingly done. And the old man, as he grew more and more feeble, could barely feed himself. He spilled food down the front of him. And they finally made him a trough type of plate and told him he had to eat over in the corner of the room. He could not eat with the family because he was too sloppy. He needed to eat. If he was going to eat like a pig, he needed to eat over in the corner of the room with his little trough. And um, that was kind of the attitude the mother and father had towards the old man. They also had one child, pride and joy of their life, a young boy. And one day he was trying to build something, and they were puzzled as to what he was building. And they said his name, and they said, what are you trying to build? And he said, oh, I'm trying to build a trough for you and Daddy when, when you get old. And suddenly, his parents looked at things much differently. Oh. So, you know, through that child's actions, they suddenly saw their actions for what they really were and what they were teaching their child. And that they did not want to be treated that way. The story ends with them bringing the old man back to the table and, and helping him with his meals, and it was, the situation was taken care of. And I'm, I'm guessing they rectified the situation before it was too late in teaching that child. But, but the way they were teaching at that point was going to teach that child to have no respect for the older people in his life. Another area is teaching thankfulness and teaching service to others. Those things work together. Thankful people are, are great servants. They're so thankful for what they have that they're willing to let that boil over, flow over to people around them. And they're willing to help with others. But then another thing we need to teach our children is restrictions. That's probably what I'm going to spend the rest of the time on. Those are things that we don't like to teach sometimes because it's tough. And they don't learn them very easily. They want to do things their own way, in their own time. And they are born with a rebellious nature to rebel against authority. And it is our job as parents to use discipline in, in teaching them restrictions in their life. So to discipline with love, it must be consistently done, it must be diligently done, and continually done. So I'd like to 
do a little chart here on the board. Most of you can see it, right? The vertical line is a line about the amount of love that we show our children. The horizontal line is a line about discipline, the amount of discipline we show our children. Hopefully, or, you know, an ideal situation, let's say it like that. An ideal situation would be that you and I, as parents, that we would be here in discipline, and we would be here in love. The truth is that none of us quite attain to that. That's too optimistic. We fail. We make mistakes. We don't quite get there. But it's very important that we have good relationships with our, our, our children. A good relationship with my child will make the discipline that I give effective. And see, the love that I show my child is part of building a relationship in that child's life. The discipline is the correction that is needed to cause changes in his behavior. Now, love can help cause changes in behavior also, but... I don't think you can ever say that a child can be just loved into good behavior. It doesn't work that way. There are some children that it takes more of one than the other, and that's why we, as parents, sometimes we get unbalanced. Um, maybe the first one was easy, and the second one comes along and it takes a lot more discipline or something like that. But... Um, as we build these relationships, though, thinking about the love situation, as we build those relationships, it affects in a large way the spiritual condition of the child and the choices that he will make in life. The discipline affects that as well, but is more affected by the relationship through love there. But good relationships take time and they take energy. They don't just happen. They take effort. If, if, you, if you can think with me, if you're in this quadrant here, you're putting a lot of energy into your family. 100% love, 100% discipline. Good relationships build acceptance, trust, appreciation, and security. Children need that. They don't think they do. 
And, you know, as teenagers, sometimes they really, mm, you know, don't want to be under mom and dad's influence so much. But uh, a good relationship there builds those things. And if we've had a good relationship with our children when they were young, it's going to be easier to work and have a relationship with them when they are teenage, uh, early 20s, that sort of thing. In the early 1970s, a group went out and interviewed 4,000 teenagers to find out what the relationship was between the parents and the teenagers. And it showed that poor relationships between them accounted for the major cause of churches losing youth to other beliefs. Now, this was a Protestant study. But I think it applies to our situation as well. These poor relationships brought about rebellion in young people. The teenagers were asked to rate their parents' expression of love and their degree of discipline on a scale of 1 to 100. And here is what was found. had neglectful parents. They were low in discipline and low in love. They tended to flee responsibility and not be involved in their children's lives. They either didn't care or were too busy to take time with their family. A Bible example of this might have been Sam, uh, David with Absalom. Seems like there wasn't the relationship there. There wasn't discipline in Absalom's life. There wasn't the uh, love there either. That was a neglectful parent. That was basically in the zero love, zero discipline quadrant. Then you had permissive parents. These parents were low in discipline, but they were high in love. Oh, they love their child way too much to discipline them. Why, it might hurt them. And he might cry. Actually, they fear their children. Incidentally, let's put another word or so in here. Neglectful people, parents, tend to flee their children. They, they run away from them. They run away from their responsibilities. Not sure why they had children. Because they, they really don't have any love for them. They don't want to put any discipline into it. And then you have the permissive parent. They love their child dearly. They really do but they fear that something bad might happen if they touch them with a rod or that if they would discipline them in any way. And so they let them have free reign in their lives. And we know that a child left to himself bringeth his mother to sorrow. 
They fear, these parents fear, that biblical strictness will drive their children away. An example of this in the Bible was possibly Eli. We don't know too much about the relationship Eli had with his sons, but we know his sons were vile, were corrupt. And it says at one point, God says, and you did not restrain them. He did not restrain his sons. He did not use discipline in their life. Obviously, he loved them because he allowed them to be in, in places of authority in, um, we'd say in the church, but he didn't discipline them. Okay. authoritarian parents. They don't really love their children that much, but they're high in discipline. Oh my, they're going to toe the mark, and if that child disobeys me, why, it's a mark on my good name, and I'm going to come unglued about it. Just wait till you get home, you're in trouble, because you have embarrassed me in front of my friends. Children are good at that, you know. Uh, we are... <coughs> seems like they behave themselves pretty well at home and then we go someplace and go out to eat or whatever and oh my, what happened to their good behavior? And, and we as parents really take it upon ourselves as a crushing blow to our pride. You know, we'd, we'd feel pretty good if they just behave themselves like little angels and people stop at our table in the restaurant and say, my, you have such good children and all. We feel so good about that, right? Mm-hmm. And then they misbehave, and oh my, we can tend to be very angry, and we can respond in anger to that with heavy discipline that does not show any love. These parents fight their children. They harshly enforce obedience. And since like yields like, their children often tend to be the fighting kind as well. You have trouble in a peer setting of children. There's one boy or girl that does a lot of fighting. Who, watch out, is there a parent teaching program problem in the home behind that? Not always, but it can point that way. The survey revealed that 80% of the 4,000 families were in this group. Now, this was back in 1970, and I don't know if those, I'm, those numbers may have shifted some now. But in 1970, 80% of the 4,000 families were in this group. 3,200 families. I think I'm right on that. Is that right? Anyhow, my math gets sad sometimes. <laughs> King Saul had an authoritarian problem. He came down pretty hard on Jonathan that one day when he had made that foolish rule about no eating and, and Jonathan took some honey, didn't know about the thing. He was ready to kill his son. And the people restrained him there. Then we have the best group.
authoritative. They have, they're, they're up there towards the 100% love. They're up there in the 100% discipline. And they know they're probably not doing as good a job as they should. But they're trying. And their aim is there. Their aim is for that 100% discipline. That aim is for that 100% love. And because their, their aim is there, they are fellowshipping with their, their children. Those are great words in a family. To fellowship with our, our, our children. Those are great things to have happen. And you won't know that so much when they're little. Oh yeah, you, you will fellowship with them on a certain level there. You'll have those good days of, of just enjoying their presence and everything goes well and things are going well. But it'll seem maybe when they're young that it's just a lot of the same thing over and over. But if you put effort into it when they are young, when they get into their older teens, mid-teens, you suddenly find out that they're able to converse with you on more interesting subjects than puppies and kittens and things like that. And suddenly you really enjoy what is happening in your family. And the good years, uh, those years of constant vigilance and being in this section are paying off as we fellowship with our children. They enjoy their family. They're balancing love and control. They may look at something and say, well, that was a mistake. I'm going to forgive you for that and we're going to go on from here instead of responding in anger and harsh discipline because of how uh, something the child did. The results of that survey also showed the responses that these four groups of parents got from their children in the four following four areas. Self-image. This always comes in top on, on all these, incidentally. But self-image. A child of an authoritative parent had the highest response. It was followed by this. And I guess that's just because they have a high estimation of themselves and think they're pretty good. And uh, it was followed by authoritarian, then neglectful, finally permissive. A permissive parent produces a child with a very, very low self-image. I guess that kind of surprised me when I found that out. The child of a permissive parent feels that the parents not care how he turns out. So he has poor self-image. What about response to discipline and authority outside the home? Authority parents were first, permissive second, neglectful third, authoritarian last. The authoritarian approach is most likely to produce a rebel and aggressive behavior. What, ex what about acceptance of the parental religion? Authoritative was first, then permissive, followed by neglectful, and finally authoritarian. Children of authoritarian parents are least likely to accept the beliefs of their parents. Acceptance of their parents' lifestyle. Again, the results were the same. Authoritative, permissive, neglectful, and authoritarian. So as we teach and train our children, as we put effort into showing them the right path, it seems like just an insurmountable task. I hope I haven't discouraged you here this morning. I, I 
I want you to be encouraged because there is the power of God to help it come to pass. That's one of the great things about being Christians is that we're not trying to do this by our own willpower, self-control and all that. Left our own devices, with our own carnal nature, we lose, we lose control at some point. We're going to say things and do things that are going to reap bad consequences in years to come with our children. But through the power of God, working in our life and providing for us a means of education for us, we can be good parents. Yeah, we're going to fail. We're not going to be 100%. It's unrealistic to think that you're going to be 100-100. But I want you to be somewhere. If this is a graph, I want you to be somewhere out in here. Get farther away from that crossing. Get as far away from that crossing as you can and come out that direction. Authoritative. Fellowshipping with your children. Having that desire to spend time with them. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. And this morning, it's about instilling biblical values, biblical convictions in our children's lives and doing it well enough that they'll want to teach their children that I worry sometimes you know have I done a good enough job that my children will carry on the things that I hold dear did I hold them dear enough that they are willing to pass those on to another generation How we reach out to God and ask God for power and help is going to determine how we do on this chart. Don't think you can do it on your own strength, as we said before. And be diligent in doing it. When you leave this place today, some of you will be driving a vehicle. And the roads are straight up here, basically, with a few curves here and there. But if you would just take your hands off the steering wheel as you went down the road, what would happen? Sooner or later, you're going to end up in the ditch. We, we are constantly correcting that steering wheel, tiny little bit, tiny little bit. And it's so easy to keep it in the right path when we're just correcting it a little bit. But it's constant. And the th same, that, that illustration goes well with child training. It's a lot easier to correct those children a little bit at a time, constantly, than to suddenly make a great big correction all at once. Now, sometimes that's necessary, too. But that can throw things into a skid that we're not sure how to recover from. <coughs> are you as careful with your children as you are driving a car we need to have constant we have constant need of discipline and correction of our children 